0: welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from The Lancet Global Health. It is March 2023, and I'm Liam Messin. This month, I'm joined by Simon Wrigley, Dean of the Faculty of Humanities and Letters at Bilkett University, Turkey, and Dr. Luke Allen, a Clinical Research Fellow at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, and a practicing GP in Oxford, both in the UK. They are co-authors on a new study investigating the implementation of non-communicable disease policy worldwide. We are perhaps at the tail end of a global pandemic, of COVID-19. And so it might be tempting to think that infectious diseases are the singular concern facing the world today. So why the focus on non-communicable diseases for your current work? So, Liam, I'll take that one first.
1: Uh, COVID's definitely captured public attention and has caused huge rises in excess mortality all over the world. If we just look at the UK, where we're speaking from at the moment, or I'm speaking from at the moment, COVID has accounted for about 5% of all deaths um, since its inception. That's about 220,000, which is a huge number. However, NCDs are responsible in the UK for 90% of the deaths, about 1.5 million. And around the world, we've seen a huge increase in the last 50 years as countries have undergone the epidemiological transition. So it's, it's more slow motion, so maybe less dramatic but currently accounts for about 70% of all deaths and disabilities, So it's a really big deal. But there are linkages as well, which were picked up by Dr. Tedros at the recent WHO executive board meeting in February. NCDs and COVID both share the same risk factors. So alcohol, tobacco, poor diet, low physical activity, exposure to air pollution and poverty cause COVID and NCDs. And of course, having certain NCDs is also a risk factor for poor COVID outcomes. And finally, we we expect governments to protect us against preventable diseases, so vaccines for COVID. But there's lots governments can be doing as well to protect us against these conditions which are responsible for a much greater burden of death and disease. So that's why.
0: And it's not just governments that we perhaps expect uh, to protect us. Um, This study was focused on um, who recommended uh, non-communicable disease NCD policies. Perhaps you could, um, one of you, just begin by first defining what these are for our listeners, why they're important, and just a few examples.
2: Sure, I can answer that one. So there's uh, now 19 policies in in total. It started off with 18, but there's one more now. They're promoted because they're cost-effective in terms of tackling NCDs. And actually they were uh, agreed in 2013 by all member states. Um, And WHO has been collecting data on these policies, for four years now, 214, 216, 19 and 22. And you could divide these into two categories, the policies, the 19. The bulk of them are kind of potentially unhealthy products. So sort of obvious candidates like tobacco and alcohol, but also some food products such as sugary drinks, salt and breast milk substitutes. And the policies that are relevant to those uh, potential risk factors are taxes on tobacco and alcohol, you know, familiar things like restrictions on sales and advertising, packaging, health warnings, but also reducing salt and high-fat food and, uh, and the food supply. And the other category is we might call kind of paper based policies, which are more about setting national targets and designing national action plans. But also, I think importantly, collecting cause-specific mortality data to do with uh, NCDs. So those are the that that's the kind of broad picture in terms of the the policies. Yeah.
0: Perhaps you could take us through the study, um, what you did, and what you found out. So this study was uh,
1: really made up of about five parts. Here, so the first part was just getting the data from these progress monitor reports. So Simon said they were published in. 2015, 2017, 2020, and 2022, and each of them provides a policy implementation score for all of the WHO member states, that's 194 countries, with data collected in the preceding year. And from that, we were able to calculate a score ranging from zero, that is, they'd implemented none of the policies at all, to 18, they'd implemented all of the 18 policies that were reported in each of the years. So at the top of the scale, we had countries like Norway, Finland and Turkey. At the bottom, we had the Guineas and Haiti, uh, with a range of kind of from one-ish to about 16-ish. Then we looked at how the scores changed over time for individual countries, but also for different income groups, so high-income, low-income, middle-income countries, and different geopolitical blocks. The fourth bit was looking at how um, sales had changed before and after the pandemic, so particularly focusing on tobacco, alcohol. Jump foods and soft drinks, and then looking at changes in sales over time and examining the association between those changes and changes in policy scores. The last thing we did was a similar analysis looking at how a composite index that we've developed previously called the uh, Corporate Financial Influence Index had changed over time in countries and how that related to changes in the scores. So Simon can talk through what we found.
2: Sure. So in terms of mean global scores, you know, this sort of maximum eighteen point um index, let's say, of policy implementation, it has it's increased gradually since the first you know data was gathered in 2014. So the mean in 2014 was a score of seven. Uh, but it's now in the last two reports at eight point six. So there there's a slow gradual increase across time globally. But in the last two years, namely before the pandemic and I should say during, but hopefully towards the end of the pandemic, it's flattened off. So it's stagnated in the last two reports in 2019 and 2021. Generally, the commercial policy scores uh, to do with unhealthy products like tobacco, alcohol, and food has not scored as well as the other policies. So seven of the policies in that general category are, have a mean of uh, 0.4 each, which for our index, like a one is full implementation, whereas 0. 0.5 is partial implementation, zero is no implementation. So the the average for many of the commercial unhealthy products is below partial, let's say, is another way of putting this. In terms of sales, the results for sales um, before and after the pandemic, we found there was weak or no association between the sales and implementation. So even if, even though alcohol sales in some categories, some countries increased, it, it was not reflected in change in taxes or restrictions on sales and advertising, for example. And in terms of the final kind of set of results, where we looked at this index that Luke mentioned the. Uh, corporate financial influence index as with previous results we have it still remains the case that this is negatively associated with implementation where the index is higher score means more influence from commercial sector and that remained the case even when we include some potential confounding factors like uh, GDP elderly population and level of democracy.
0: Thank you very much, Sam. There's a few points I'd like to touch on. But just first of all, why why the focus on just these, these 19 who recommended policies?
1: The WHO uh, produced Global NCD Action Plan in 2013, and it covers the period 2013 to 2030. And periodically it's updated, and it's got this appendix at the bottom which lists all of the policies which have undergone an assessment for NCDs. And initially, there was a a small list of them which were dubbed best buys, as in they're highly cost effective in low and middle income countries. And over time, responding to changes and criticisms, this list has grown. And now there are tens and tens, actually, of policies that WHO uh, puts out there and recommends that countries follow, of which there's a subset which are highly cost effective. That is, they cost less than $1 per person per year. And there are a few other metrics that they apply as well. The reason we focused on uh, these 19 is that these are the ones that the WHO routinely reports on um, in their regular biennial-ish NCD progress monitors. Uh, They're aligned with um, some of the core objectives in the global NCD action plan and are likely to continue being the core set of policies that continue to be reflected in their reporting. Importantly, they don't include any of the cancer interventions like cervical cancer screening, don't include any of the mental health interventions. And there are lots of other very cost-effective, very important NCD things that are missing from this list. I think a question for myself, Simon, and our other authors is, uh, in, in the future, do we expand and look to these other policies? Or do we keep going with, and actually it's the 18, because we've picked the original 18, and tobacco mass media campaigns were only introduced in 2017, or, or do we keep adding things in? So there's an issue of consistency there as well. But... Overall, it's, I think it's fantastic that the Joe is broadening the scope uh, to consider a wider range of risk factors. That, that's good news. Uh, it would be good to see their reporting uh, expand as well to match what's happening in, in this appendix.
0: Simon, as you mentioned, we've seen a stagnation in the, in the implementation of these policies. Now, some of this can likely be attributed to, to the COVID 19 pandemic, but you mentioned stagnation predates uh, the pandemic. So, What do you think some of the reasons for this are?
2: So I think, yeah, you're right that the most plausible explanation seems to be, you know, diversion of attention and resources during the pandemic. But it was steadily increasing until 2019. So as a global average, it was still, you know, not a, a major increase, but a steady uptick. But another explanation apart from the pandemic might be that know, the, the easier policies to implement uh, were put in place. Some of the more kind of uh, plans of action type policies were put in place. Once those were completed, the hard work, you know, the tougher um, uh, implementation policies were left standing in many cases to do with these unhealthy products. So it may have been that the low-hanging fruit was picked off in the first few years, and now we're left with the really challenging implementation policies. Both uh, plausible explanations, I think, of uh, why it's slowed down a bit in recent reports.
0: And say you had a direct line to the world's governments, what would you recommend to reverse this stagnation?
2: Okay, so uh, I mean, some of us, it's, it's uh, very clear that the governments and the health, World Health and Organization NGOs need a reminder of just the sheer burden of NCDs and low income. Low-income and high-income countries and the rapid increase in low-income countries. Uh, the rate of the burden is taking over is um, you know much faster than it was in so-called more developed economies. And as Luke has already pointed out, you know, is highlighting the risk factors created by NCDs for you know, adverse COVID-19 outcomes. The other thing that it strikes me as important is working more on equalizing access influence over policy making. So it, that, that money speaks a little bit less, not eliminating the ag, ag, you know, dominance of commercial industries like food, alcohol, and tobacco over policy making, but enabling greater access for non-commercial interests to have an impact on policy making that that's, those were the two things that occurred to me, like, yeah,
1: yeah. And I think my reflection just builds on that, That fundamentally how do you reverse this stagnation? Fundamentally, these are political choices. And as Simon said, some of the NCD policies are relatively easy in inverted commas to implement and non-contentious, like setting a national NCD plan, setting robust targets, delivering physical activity, mass media campaigns. There's a no lot sort of opposition there. But a rather large chunk of these NCD policies directly threaten the profits of powerful industry sectors Things like alcohol taxes, advertising bans, sales restrictions, salt and fat restrictions, banning child drunk food marketing, and the tobacco measures. And it requires really bold political choices to defend the health of populations. And if we look back to your original question about COVID's forefront in people's minds, why on earth focus on NCDs, we saw an unprecedented uh, rise in public acceptance of measures that curtailed elements of civil liberty in the interest of public health. And we're not denying the fact that lots of policies that aim to reduce exposure to commercial risk factors do actually entail curtailing a little bit of civil liberty. So putting up the price of tobacco makes it more expensive. And for some people, that's an unacceptable infringement on their freedoms. But as we saw in countries like South Africa, with a 20-week ban on Uh, Alcohol sales, it it saved over 2,000 lives, just banning it for for 20 weeks. And and we're not saying that we should introduce bans of these goods, but making it harder for people to thoughtlessly take up or become addicted to these substances has massive public health dividends. And if we're willing to see some elements there for COVID in the short term, for an emergency, yes, uh, I think it's important that we think again about just opening up that public debate around NTDs, which have a much, much broader impact and are likely to be the thing that kill you, me and Simon uh, in the middle ground here. Yeah.
0: Perhaps you could try and end on a more uh, optimistic uh, <laughs> rather than the demise of all the participants yes. uh, of this interview. Um, I to look you did touch upon a little bit that you may be going to look towards towards some of the other two recommendations, you know, beyond this list of the 18 plus one. But I wonder if either of you'd be happy just to just talk about kind of what's next uh, for your group. What's the next thing you're planning on looking at?
1: I think the next thing would be to try and get some funding to do one of these studies. (laughs) I've done four or five of them now, Simon, and every single one of them has been an area that there's not a great deal of funding around. And we're very passionate about this topic and so we're making it all work in our spare time and evenings and weekends. So personally, on a a very selfish level, I'd love to see some funding to do the digital research. I, I think maybe broadening out the set of policies that we look at. Bits of our work have touched on uh, the, the decision-making process and kind of what feeds into why policymakers might or might not introduce these policies. That that could be something that we'd like to do. But yeah, on, Simon, what about your thoughts about what's next?
2: Well, it occurred to me today that another topic which doesn't require funding, fortunately, necessarily, is uh, the link which came up during the pandemic, the link between trust and government policy making, whether it was successful or not in terms of vaccination and um, restrictions on movement, trust seems to have been an important factor as colleagues of ours have found out. So it'd be interesting to see whether the implementation of these policies is also linked to trust. I mean, trust in government, that that is. It could also be trust between individuals, but I think trust in government would be an interesting factor to look at.
1: I, I agree. And Liam, something that's really tricky is trying to find metrics which work equally in all countries. And as you can imagine, trying to gauge trust in a way that's comparable between countries is, is tricky, as are lots of the other bits and pieces which factor in the indices and metrics that we use in our paper. I think what, one of the other things that was picked up by Dr. Tedros at the executive board meeting is the link between NCDs and primary healthcare. I'm, I'm a GP by training. I, I still work clinically in most of my work really is in the field of primary health care. And I think at the moment, NCDs is treated in its own silo and just, I'd love to see a lot more horizontal integration. And uh, so that's another area that I'm personally interested in as well.
0: And if there are any wealthy benefactors out there that do want to fund Simon and Luke's research, do get in touch. You can read their current paper online now on the thelancid.com. Thank you to both our interviewees and thank you for listening. You can subscribe to this podcast any place you usually get podcasts.